One of the privileges of having four daughters is that you can stand on a touchline on a cold Saturday morning with freezing ground underneath you watching a game of football. Three of my daughters have played to our local girls team and those of you who have got children who have taken up a sport or maybe grandchildren and you've been to watch them, you'll probably remember the first match they ever played. Our Lucy was eight. She was playing for the Cotman Thorpe under eight girls team. My wife was standing on the touchline watching the match. The game was about to start. Hopes were high, but expectations, to be honest, were low. <laughs> Four minutes into the game, the uh, opposing striker gets the ball, runs upfield, and slots it into the goal. One nil down, four minutes gone. At that point, the goalkeeper, Molly, looks to the touchline, finds her mother amongst the crowd of about four, and says, Mum, that's not fair. I was still pulling up my socks. <laughs> not the greatest excuse. Needless to say, Molly's footballing career never really took off. But when she was supposed to be doing something else, she was diverted and distracted to something that didn't really matter. Here in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul starts off by talking about something that is of first importance. And I know I'm preaching to the converted, we're evangelists, we love to share the gospel. But notice that first line that Paul says in verse 1. As he writes to this Corinthian church, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. And don't we need a reminder of the gospel? Even as those who preach the gospel, is it not sometimes easy for us to go through the motions of preaching the gospel without taking that step back and reminding ourselves of the truths of the gospel? Paul says it is of first importance. The Corinthians church, of course, was a church that faced a whole host of issues, important issues. It was a church in crisis in many ways. There was within the church arrogance. There was pride. There was sexual immorality. Questions about marriage. Questions about how the church should interact with the world around about it. Litigation, one member against another. And so Paul comes to this church and he says, after 14 chapters of dealing with some of those issues, now I want to turn your mind once again to something that is of first importance. And that is the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And so I want us to just spend a few moments just looking at some of these early verses in 1 Corinthians 15. To take that step back, as it were, and to bask in some of what Paul talks here of the gospel. He says he wants to remind them Oh, they knew it. We read that they were saved by it, that they had received it, that they stand in it, but he wants to remind them of it. Because we easily forget, and if you're anything like me, you've probably been off to Tesco's with a, well, the instruction of pick up some milk. 
But if you're anything like me, when you get down those shopping aisles and you see the chocolate bars half price, oh, they take your fancy. And the new Marmite crisps or whatever they may be. And um, all those offers that they've got. And eventually you get back home and you start unpacking the bags and everything's there for the next week except the milk. If someone had stopped you when you were going around the shop and said, what are you here for? Oh, you'd have known. We'd have said, I've come to get the milk. Oh, the milk. Hmm. But in doing the shopping, we forget the key element. Or we don't forget it, but we just seem to get focused and distracted by other things. And so I want us to come back to the Gospel. And I want us to think as we look here at Paul's um, instructions here to this Corinthian church about the gospel. We're living in a media savvy world, aren't we? Do we sometimes find that we can be so focused on the presentation that we actually just lose sight of the gospel, the message? Do we sometimes find that we can be so bothered about what people think about what we say? Will it go down well with this particular church audience who brought their friends along? that that can be a key factor in our thinking. And in so doing, we don't ignore the gospel, but the key thing is what others think, and not the gospel. Paul says, hold fast to the gospel. Hold fast to the gospel. Keep the main thing, the main thing. And as Paul talks here in 1 Corinthians 15, he says we can have confidence as we hold fast to the gospel. Nothing new that we're going to talk about this evening, but it's a reminder to give us that confidence, to remind us again of what a great gospel we have. Paul says we can have confidence because of the truth of the gospel and because of the impact of the gospel. First of all, the truth of the gospel. The gospel is a declaration, the announcement of good news. (coughs) It's the word that's used for the... um, Well, it was originally the reward that was given to a messenger who came with good news. Back around about 500 years before Christ, the Athenians are under attack. The Persians are attacking the Athenians. They've landed on the plains of Marathon. And Philippides, a runner, has been sent 120 miles to Sparta to, to enlist the support of the Spartans. But they say no. So he comes back and takes up arms himself and goes off to join the army. The Athenians win a marvellous victory and Philippides is sent back to Athens to run the 42 kilometres, just over 26 miles, with news of the victory. He runs, he's exhausted having run 120 miles in the last couple of days, now another 26 miles back to Athens, but he gets back and he comes back with the news, we are victors! And with that, the exhausted Philippides falls down and dies. If he'd lived, the reward that had been given would be that word, gospel. But it came to be used for the good news itself. The news of the great victory that has been won. And Paul sums it up, doesn't he, in four statements. Four statements which, as we look at the truth of the gospel, we see the historical truth of the gospel. Because Paul talks there about the fact that this is a declaration of something done in history. 
A declaration, verse 3, that Christ died. That Christ was buried. That Christ was raised on the third day. And he appeared to Peter and many others. Notice, of course, those four events can be split into two lots of two. Where Paul states a historical fact and then gives the justifying of it. Christ died and was buried. You don't bury a man unless he's dead. Well, if you do, you're in trouble. How do we know he's dead? Because he was buried. Christ was raised again. How do we know he was raised again? Because he appeared to people. A man who is dead doesn't appear to people. They saw the risen Christ. In many ways, the early Christians did not believe in the resurrection simply because of the empty tomb, because they'd heard of an empty tomb, but because they saw a risen Saviour. And we should never forget, should we, the historical truths of the gospel. And that's what makes the Christian message, a Christian gospel, different from all others. Because it is not simply a teaching or a way of life or a philosophy or some good ideas or how to sort of work things out so life's pleasing and good for you. It stands or falls on the historical evidence. And Paul sets it out there in those four statements. Christ died, he was raised, he was buried and he appeared. And I'm sure in our work of evangelism we've come across those who say, well, it doesn't really matter whether it's true. It doesn't really matter whether the history bears it out. You know, we've probably come across those who've said, if you come to the end of your life and you find out that we are wrong, well, does it really matter? We've not really lost anything or missed out. Paul would say something different, wouldn't he? Paul would say, if Christ is not raised, then our faith is futile, it's empty. You're still in your sins. And if in Christ, if in Christ we only have hope in this life, then we are all men to be pitied, most miserable. Oh, the truths of the resurrection, the truths of Christ dying on that cross are so essential. But we can have confidence as we go out and share this message, as we face those oppositions, whether it be from those who we talk to out on the streets, those who we preach to in in the churches or in the missions that we take. As people question what we're saying, we can have confidence in the historical truths of this gospel. And that's so important, isn't it? Because when we have a terrible day, when that last gospel opportunity didn't go the way that we wanted it to go, we remember that the foundation of our confidence is not on how we feel or what we experience or how well we perform. The confidence, the foundation of that confidence is on the fact of what Christ has done on our behalf. So we hold fast to the gospel. There is the historical truth, but then is also the biblical truth. Because Paul doesn't just talk about the fact that Christ died and was buried, he was raised and he appeared, but he says, according to the scriptures. And of course, Paul here is talking back to the Old Testament. Notice there in verse 3, Paul says, Christ died according to the scriptures. Messiah died. That's, That's an oxymoron. 
That's two words you don't put together in the thinking of, of these first century people. You don't put them together in the same sentence. It's a bit like sort of Microsoft Works and um, Yorkshire Attractions and uh, things like that. You just can't put them together in the same sentence. But Paul is saying firstly that this Jesus is the promised Messiah from the Old Testament. He is the one who came and who died. Secondly, he's saying, not just this Christ died, but Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Because there's no good news, is there, in Jesus died. But there is tremendous news in Jesus died for our sins. There's a purpose statement that Paul is putting forth there. There is a reason behind that death. That's good news. And that good news, Paul says, don't forget. In all that you're doing, don't forget. Christ died for our sins. It's a truth that we'd never come to by ourselves. Human logic will never get there. The God-man, the Messiah, dying a criminal's death. Some, of course, in today's world tell us that it's distasteful to think in those ways. An associate professor of theology and culture at Union Theological Seminary in New York, Dolores Williams, said at a recent reimagining conference... I don't think we need blokes hanging on crosses and blood dripping and weird stuff like that. Hmm. That's her opinion. But in the end of the day, her opinion, our opinion, doesn't matter. What matters is what God says. According to the scriptures. And Paul emphasises that this is a truth that he has received and now delivers. It's not one he makes up. He simply passes it on. He's the second leg in the relay. Takes the baton and passes it on. That's his job. That's our job, isn't it? To take that old gospel message. Not to tinker with it. Not to tard it up. To take that message. And in an applicable way. To present that message faithfully to those who hear. But Paul also there thirdly talks about the fact that Christ was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And again, we can go back into those Old Testament scriptures, can't we, to see the, the foretelling of this, this resurrection. Psalm 16, of course, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. But this morning, I mentioned this morning about Isaiah, Isaiah 53. He was cut off from the land of the living, but he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days. As a result of his anguish of his soul, he will see light and be satisfied. Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 15, not just that Christ rose, but Christ was raised, according to the scriptures. This is a work of God, bringing Christ back to life. There is a massive difference between escaping from prison and being released from prison. 
Escaping from prison is all your own work. Being released from prison, the authorities say you've done your time. Or you've paid your price. Or you should never have been there in the first place, so we'll let you out. God raised Christ, brought him out of that tomb. The great vindication, the great divine yes to all that Christ had achieved on the cross. And it's that truth that Christ has been raised that assures these Corinthian believers that they too will be raised one day as we read on through this chapter. And that thought of the gospel of Christ dying, of being buried, of being raised from the dead, that makes a difference to us today. Not just in what we say, not just in our message, but that should make a difference in our lives as well. It should, the way, should affect the way we see ourselves, our identity. It's not bound up in, how many, in, how, in what we do. It's not bound up in how many people come along to our events. It's not bound up as to how many people respond. It's bound up in Christ and what he has done. It should empower us in our struggle against sin. Because through that resurrection, through his resurrection power, the power of sin has been broken. It should affect us in the way we deal with suffering and hardship. Because the truth of the resurrection assures us that the sufferings of this present age are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. It should impact us in the way we see our service for the Lord. Because right at the end of this chapter, Paul says, Be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Even when it's tough. We talked about despondency and loneliness earlier on. Even in those times, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because you know that in the Lord your labour is not in vain. So Paul says, Hold fast to the gospel. There's historical and there's biblical truth. But then he also talks about the impact of the gospel. We can have confidence in the gospel. We hold fast to the gospel because of the impact of that gospel. The gospel accomplishes something. We've already heard that tonight, haven't we? In Fari's story, the impact of that gospel. But Paul says here that we are saved through that gospel. There is no other way for anyone to be saved, is there? We know that. And so as we hold out the gospel, it's the gospel that they received from Paul. And these Corinthians were, were saved through believing that gospel message. Paul says, we believe anything else, we're believing in vain. Uh, don't put your faith in faith. It's a trust in Christ and what he has done. But it's not just a one-off thing, it's an ongoing salvation, isn't it? Because verse 1 could be um, translated, the gospel by which you are now being saved. Yes, we know, don't we, that we're saved from the penalty of sin in the past, we're saved from the presence of sin in the future, but now we've been saved from the power of sin in our lives. It's an ongoing salvation. And that's why it's so important for us, even as evangelists, to remind ourselves day by day of the gospel. Because it impacts every single day of our life, or as we should do. As C.J. Mahaney in his book, The Cross-Centered Life, says, Preach the gospel to yourself every day. 
So Paul says we are saved through the gospel. But then he also talks about the fact that we stand in the gospel. We preach the gospel to you which you received and in which you stand. Because the gospel message is not just something to be understood. It's a platform onto which we build our lives. And it is the only solid platform, isn't it, in this life. And so we see life through gospel eyes. It's like walking outside and putting on your dark glasses. Everything looks the same, but everything looks different. And as we look at the world through the gospel eyes, everything looks the same, but everything looks different. Paul talked about that, didn't he, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where he's talking about the way we see people after the flesh, but now we used to see Christ that way, but no longer. It's as if because of Christ we see things the same, but they're different. That gospel should impact not just what we say, the ministries that we're doing, but every aspect of our life. But it should also, it should also impact the way we see our work and our ministry. We sometimes have a particularly exciting opportunity. Something coming up in the evening. We so hope it goes well. And so we spend a little extra time in prayer and in the Word that day. Nothing wrong with that, of course there isn't. But do we sometimes in the back of our mind think, oh, if I spend a little extra time, then God may bless more tonight. Or what about when those finances may be low? And we take that decision that we'll give away a little bit more. And then maybe God will honour. Oh, God's no man's debtor. God honours those who honour him. But you can't twist God's arm. Or maybe when we've had that bad day and we become very aware of our own sinfulness. We feel, oh, God can't speak through me tonight. As if, if I'd been good, then it qualifies me to be used by God. They're functional deniers of the gospel, aren't they? That somehow God will use me, somehow God will love me, somehow God will bless me if I be good, if I do certain things. Rather than that all of that comes through Christ. Why does God love me? Why does God use me? Why does God speak through me? It's not because of me. It's not because of what I do. It's because of what Christ has done. Of course, this Christ of the gospel talks a lot about how we should live our Christian lives. But that's a response to what he has done. It is in no way, any way of manipulating God. Sometimes are we tempted to think that way? Maybe we'd never admit it. We're saved through the gospel. We stand in the gospel. We are to speak of the gospel. Of course, that's what we're involved in. That first verse could well be translated, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I gospeled to you, in which you received and by which you stand, by which you have been saved, if you hold fast to the word I gospeled to you. It's the declaration of good news. That's the business that we're in, isn't it? Declaring the good news. 
In this world, in this day and age, there are so many Christians who will use that little phrase, oh, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. <laughs> no, preach the gospel and because it's necessary, use words. How can you declare a message without using words? We're not mime artists. You know, showing the gospel isn't a game of charades. It's a declaration of good news. And that's the job that we have. Paul said, Christ sent me to preach the gospel. And, earlier, and a few verses later on, it pleased God through the folly of what was preached to save those who believe. The declaration of good news, but it's a declaration of the good news. The good news of the Lord Jesus. We're not selling a product. We're not promoting a cause. If so, it'd be quite acceptable to manipulate what we say, to say, well, if this doesn't suit you, come back tomorrow and I'll see if I've got a better offer. No, we're declaring the good news. Christ died and was buried. He was raised again and appeared. He died for our sins. So we must not be ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. When Paul comes to Corinth, he determined to know nothing amongst them except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's a Christ-centered message. John Stott said the gospel is not preached if Christ is not preached. We know that, don't we? But how good it is sometimes just to take that step back. And to look in and say, this message that we have, that we are declaring, is a message that has historical truth. I've got confidence in it. It's got biblical truth. It's what God is saying. And all I have is to pass it on to others. Because it is this message through which people are saved. In which we must stand and take our stand. And of which we must speak. Father, we thank you for the wonderful gospel of the Lord Jesus. We thank you for our wonderful Saviour who died for our sins, who was buried and was raised again and appeared to men. We thank you for the wonderful message that we have and we thank you for the wonderful task that you have entrusted to us to take this message and to make it known to those who need a Saviour. Father, give us confidence in that Gospel May we stand in that gospel. May we be those who allow that gospel to impact our lives day by day. That as we preach the gospel to ourselves before we preach it to others. And remind ourselves that this isn't our work. This is your work. And you bless your word as it goes forth faithfully. Father, bless your word as we seek to make it known in this day and age. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.